Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. So how are you guys holding up? Baseball's Final Four is afoot, and the Mets have got to feel like Duke or Kentucky. Supposed to be a blue blood, didn't even make the tournament this year. And the question is, what does that do for you? You still watching baseball? Seeing there's a Kay Hernandez tearing it up in October, but knowing it's Kike and not Keith? Whether you are or aren't following the bouncing ball, we're going to look back at 2021 just a bit, but forward to 2022 a lot, if you have 20 or so minutes and want to hear a really cool song. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now. Here's Josh Welcome, bonjour, hola, ni hao. The weekly edition of Mets in the Morning is back in your earbuds. And as Veronica Corningstone used to say at the Channel 4 News Desk, thanks for stopping by. Josh Lewin with you. We're going to hear from the always interesting to talk to Luis Guillorme later on, first in a series of interviews to bring you this offseason. Current Mets, future Mets, former Mets, big old grab bag, really. Let's start by acknowledging it is tough to watch a playoffs with the Mets having drifted so far from them this past August and September. I was looking at Fangraph's number of wins expected from back in the spring training, and some of the teams that did make the playoffs were definitely not supposed to have been there. The Giants were pegged for 76 wins. They got 107 in the regular season. That is a plus 31. Red Sox were supposed to get 80. They got 92. Brewers. They were supposed to get 82. They got 95. I'll give you another team that almost made the playoffs at Seattle. Mariners were supposed to get 74 wins. They got 90. That's a plus 16. And they did that with a lot of help from former Mets. Not just Jared Kelnick, the prospect traded for Cano and Diaz. But Mets who had been mediocre at best in blue and orange. They were amazing in blue and green. Paul Seawald and Chris Flexen. You guys can take a bow. But anyway, on the other side of that Fangraphs spectrum... The Padres were supposed to win 95. They won 79. The Nats were supposed to have won 81. They won 65. Mets were supposed to win 92. They won 77. That's all a minus 15 or minus 16 for all those teams. At least the Nats had theirs after selling off parts, right? Kind of like the Cubs did. The Mets and Padres were in the import biz at the trade deadline. They both got good players and somehow got worse. So... Now here we are, and a to-do list for the Mets that goes a little bit like this. Number one, hire a POBO, a president of baseball ops. And of course, not too long ago, the Mets were searching for a new GM to replace Sandy Alderson, who had stepped down after eight years of service. One of the first people the Mets interviewed, let's not forget, 
was Chaim Bloom, who headed up the uh, the Tampa Bay Rays baseball ops. Did a very nice job of that. Seemed like a natural fit for the Mets because he was supposed to have really wanted the Mets job. Everybody in baseball thinks he hung the moon. Young guy. But Jeff Wilpon already had his man. Uh, he made what he called an out-of-the-box choice of Jacob deGrom's agent, Brody Van Wagenen. Of course, that did not go quite as Jeff Wilpon hoped. So, Bloom had to wait another year to get his big chance, got it with the Red Sox, and that was a tough gig at first. I mean, he had barely settled in. He had to fire Alex Cora, who everybody loves. Then he was told, you got to get rid of Mookie Betts. And he throws in David Price in that deal, too, for Alex Verdugo and a couple of prospects. He gets crushed by the New England media. But look what happened after that. He brings in Kike Hernandez at a bargain price. He signs former Rays, or X-Rays, as I like to say, Christian Arroyo and Hunter Renfro. And he claims Garrett Whitlock from the Yankees of all teams. So basically, High and Bloom hits a bases-clearing triple. And one can only wonder what that at-bat would have looked like had it been at City Field and not Fenway. But as a wise man once said, it is what it is. I'll give you a sidebar on that. If you watch enough Judge Judy, and Lord knows I do watch a lot of Judge Judy, I would estimate 85, maybe 90% of the time, whoever loses the case during his or her exit interview looks at their shoes and says those exact five wonderful words. It is what it is. I would love to see the advanced metrics, but I think I'm right. It's got to be 85 to 90%. Anyway, since the Mets took a called third strike when they had the chance to grab a high and bloom. Here we are again. And as you probably heard, it looks doubtful they're going to land a so-called big fish. No Theo Epstein, probably not on David Stearns or Billy Bean, but at least the search is underway. And from there, we arrive at step two, which is got to hire a new field manager. Fun fact, the Mets are on their way to hiring their fifth manager in five years here. It's like the, the drummer from Spinal Tap. There is no stability in the skipper's office at all. And that trickles down. It trickles down to the clubhouse in terms of continuity. So this is a big hire. And who could it be? Who should it be? I think you want someone who's going to be around for years, not months. There are some easy names to Frisbee on out there. First and foremost, do you take a second bite of the apple with Carlos Beltran? If Alex Cora and A.J. Hinch are both managing now after their suspensions for whatever went on in Houston four years ago, why not Carlos Beltran? Time served, take two. If you don't do that, two former Rangers guys, not Mike Keenan and John Tortorella. I mean, uh, Buck Walter and Ron Washington, I think, merit some consideration. Let's take Wash first. Baseball lifer, potty mouth that would make Chris Rock blush, maybe even Lenny Dykstra blush. Profane and profound is what I used to say about Ron Washington when he was in Texas. He'd be an inspired choice, minority candidate, Currently, Atlanta's third base coach gets rave reviews there. Uh, he is seasoned. He is 69 years old, but he has the energy of a teenager. Infield defense guru. I like that. Widely credited for the development of a lot of Atlanta's young stars. And lest we forget, he uh, served as a minor league coach and manager for the Mets for five years back in the 90s. When he took that job in Texas, the man he replaced is the other name we just mentioned, Nathaniel William Showalter, a.k.a. Buck. Hasn't managed since 2018 with the Orioles, been on TV a lot since then. Says he's not retired. He's 65. He was manager of the year in 94, 04, and 14. So every 10 years, you get a manager of the year thing with Buck. 1,550 regular season big league wins. Bruce Bochy, another skins on the wall guy with some Mets ties. He had a brief Mets playing career. 
coincided with a 15-game losing streak in 1982. Wasn't his fault. Uh, maybe more importantly, he's a future Hall of Famer. Three World Series titles as a Giants manager. Did an amazing job in San Diego as well. If you like first-time possibilities, if you don't want to retread, we'll hear the name of Super Joe McEwing, I'm sure. Former Mets Colt Hero, who was a finalist for the managerial vacancy in 2017 before Mickey Calloway got the job. Uh, he's 48. He's been learning under Tony La Russa as a third-base coach for the White Sox. I'll give you one more intriguing name. That's the Tuxedo New York native and former Rockies manager Walt Weiss. Really smart baseball guy who has a lot of the same traits the Mets liked about Luis Rojas, but he's got a little edge about him. He will confront players. He did that with Nolan Arenado in Colorado. He uh, confronts issues. He gets them resolved. Nothing lingers with Walt Weiss. And hey, not for nothing, the AAA manager's job is open too. I mentioned the Mets are about to have five different managers in the last five plus seasons. Well, the team's looking for a fifth AAA manager in that many seasons as well. The Chad Kruder era ended very quietly and quickly in Syracuse. There was one player that had a really good year. Uh, it was an outfielder that we saw briefly with the Mets. Khalil Lee was a AAA East All-Star. 451 OBP. Makes Brandon Nimmo look like Juan Lagares. 451 in any league. That's an eye-opener for sure. All right, speaking of the minors, the Arizona Fall League is underway for various Mets prospects to get a little more seasoning. It opened with a bang for the first-round pick out of Austin, Texas, Brett Beatty. His very first game there, he reached base four times with the three of those at-bats against Padres' top prospect, Mackenzie Gore. We're going to be interviewing Beatty and some of the other Mets prospects down there in Phoenix. Reason number 703 to stay subscribed to Mets in the Morning all winter. The Arizona Fall League underway now using a pitch timer, larger bases, the automatic ball and strike system, at least at the, the park where the Mets guys are playing their home games. They're regulating the shift. So lots of reasons to peek at what's happening there besides just the prospects because it's kind of a a baseball Petri dish. And it's not just Beatty down there for the Mets. Uh, He he had been just okay at double A after killing it at single A. I think he's going to be terrific. But there's also Carlos Cortez on board. He's a really good hitter looking for a position. There's Corey Sanger, a defensive catcher who needs to hit more. A lot of intriguing guys there will be introducing you to these fellas uh, one by one beginning next month. But today's interview, someone who's already been through the Mets minor league system, ended up being a very valuable spare part for the big league team the last couple years. Luis Guillorme, great guy. And to remind you of his backstory, first of all, he's not a prospect anymore. He's 27. So the cement is starting to harden on who or what Guillorme is. What he is not is an RBI guy. He had one in his first 60 at-bats this past year, but very good bat-to-ball guy. He was the only Met with as many walks and strikeouts this past year. The only one. Some guys weren't even close. Tomas Nito, love him though we do. Five walks, 44 strikeouts. The aforementioned Khalil Lee, no walks, 13 strikeouts. Albert Almora Jr. was 3-23. and So was Brandon Drury for all the heroics of Brandon Drury. And Guillaume defensively, I'll do that chef's kiss thing. Well, you can't see it, but I'm doing it. The uh, the skill honed by a decision his dad made really about 20 years ago. And I love this story. Luis Guillaume Sr., uh, kind of a, I mean, a sad story in a way. He saw his family uh, getting victimized by some violence in Venezuela. There was a carjacking. 
he basically said, you kids are playing inside from now on. That's it. It's just not safe to be outside where we live. So he knocks down a wall of the family house, turns two rooms into one room. And with a little imagination, Louise Jr. turns that room into like this personal defensive experimentation zone. He'd get whatever balls he could, baseballs, tennis balls, racquetballs, whatever, and just work on his hand-eye coordination. Made up his own games, his own drills, throw it off the wall and catch it, throw it off three walls, catch it at a weird angle, throw it off the ground, low off the wall, catch it over your shoulder. And when Guillaume's friends came over, everybody would be doing this. They'd be hanging out, jumping into a couch, which served as kind of a cushion for the, the diving plays they would make around all this cement so uh, I love that. Just cement walls, a couch, and some big league dreams. He goes from Venezuela to Miami, from Miami to the Mets, and now from there to this interview that we taped right at the end of the season. Let's hear from the man himself. Here is Luis Guillorme. Luis Guillorme is talking to us about all things Luis Guillorme. And the first thing I always think of with you, always, and you probably know where I'm going with this, is spring training at Danny Echeverria at the plate. I know that seems like 20 years ago, but do people still to this day come up and, and ask you how you did that? Yeah, that still comes up. I mean, even when we got new guys on the team every <laughs> year, they always bring it up. Oh, that was you. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah that, was, that was me. How did you get away with playing it off? in real time like it was no big thing like you'd done this 40 times before honestly to me when i had that bat in my hands it felt like a lot longer than it was <laughs> and i went to watch the videos literally a split second thing just five seconds caught it threw it back and that was it has there ever been anything comparable to that in your either your baseball life or your off-season life i mean like did you snatch a fly out of midair at any point i mean no i think i was just been good with hand-eye stuff so it just kind of happened at that moment have you always been good at that? I remember sitting in class trying to, to kill time. I don't know if you used to have this like on your phone. There'd be a stopwatch, and you'd try to stop it at exactly one second or exactly ten seconds. Were you good at that? I mean, we, we still do that up to, up to this day. You know, sometimes when you're on the bench, yeah. it'll, it'll happen, you know, when those games start dragging a little bit, you know. But, no, I mean, I've always done stuff like that. It's like I said, growing up at my house, I had that room. My parents pretty much, not built, but made specifically for me. It was just four walls, and I could see how fast I could throw a ball at a wall, bring it back, throw it back, over my shoulder, stuff like that. So I've always been into little random things like that. I don't mean to get too, like, Hallmark Channel with this, but I've always found it fascinating about the why they built that room for you, just to make sure you had a safe haven, is what I've, I've always heard. Can, can you tell us about that? So, yeah, you know, being living in Venezuela, we didn't, we didn't live in a bad part of Venezuela, but at the same time, it wasn't the safest to go outside by myself on my own. So I had that one room where it was literally, like I said, four walls. There was a couch in the corner, and I would just spend hours in there. As soon as I got home from school, I had a ball in the glove in my hand, a little rubber ball, and I would just chuck it at the walls and see what I could do with it. But in terms of your parents have, I mean, did they actually literally come right out and say, we're doing this because we're trying to keep you safe, or was it more implied? I think it was just implied. I think it was just a room that I played in. It was yeah. never told to me, like, this is what you're doing, you know? It's just mm -hmm. I was happy with what I had. I was happy with four walls, a ball in the glove. It's always been me. What else? Take me into that room. Were there posters on the wall of anything, or it was literally like cinder block kind it of stuff? It was literally just inside, four walls, just a room, a couch so I could dive into it sometimes. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> How many cushions on the couch? Like, Was it like big fluffy stuff? It was just a little corner couch, you know, long, but I mean, it worked for me. I would just, even my friends came over, we played a game where you would be as close as you can to the wall, okay. bounce it, 
run backwards and kind of like just jump behind, dive in, catch behind your back. So you just try to see who can do the, do the most in the row and stuff like that. So we made little games out of what we had. So was the Gourmet household kind of like the place where people wanted to come and do that? Would you go over to other kids' houses or did everybody want to come be in that room? So, so usually, you know, I had a lot of guys on my team that would come over mostly because my parents knew, you know, we had we had a big house. It was that room, like I said, it was a big room. When you think four walls, don't think of a little room. It was yeah, two yeah. rooms put into one. Okay. So it's just straight long. And they knew that my parents didn't care what we do in that room. The room specifically for that, there was nothing you could break. So everything was done in that room. As long as everything was in there, we were fine. Are, are your uh, parents as good with English as you are? So my dad is. My mom, you know, when we moved here when I was 12. So we're going on 27, so 15 years now. So I already knew a decent amount of English. My aunt has always lived here, so we came here and visited all the time. So I was really good with it. Once me and my brother moved here, we picked it up even better. My dad knew a little bit. My dad still speaks with a little accent, but he speaks it well. He understands it really well. My mom, she understands it really well. She still doesn't speak it well. You know, she, she's never around that many people that speak English without us. So she's never really had the need for it. But she does understand it really well. I think for her, it's more of a her being scared of speaking it and yeah, messing yeah. up than right. anything. But she does know what people are saying to her. Do you find that the more you speak English and that's your first language, do you start forgetting some Spanish here and there? So I think for me, I came at the right age where I knew Spanish really well already. I was 12 and I knew a certain amount of English, so I, I haven't forgotten it. If you speak to my brother who came when he was eight years old, he had to learn English out of nothing. Yeah. He speaks English better than he speaks Spanish now. He forgets how to say some words. He forgets how to, you know, put sentences together from time to time. Not often, but it happens because he's had to speak more English than Spanish in his right. life. Okay, so now I got to switch tracks a little bit and talk to you about this phenomenal beard, which is the other big topic of conversation on baseball with you. When did you decide that this was going to be the look? You know, I've always had a beard, especially my first two years with the Mets actually weren't allowed to have a beard. Oh, so yeah, that's right. We weren't, so I think... Every offseason, I was trying to see how long I could get it, and little by little, it started, you know, just letting it go, mixing it. You'll see it. When I was coming up, I would mix it up. I have a mustache. Yeah. I did it last year where towards the end of the season, I did something. And then the longest I've had it was last year where I went to spring. I usually shave after the season every year. Okay. And then I let it grow till spring, and then in spring, at some, t- some point in spring, I'll shave again. Last year, because of COVID, that didn't happen. Right. So during the quarantine, I just let it happen. And then throughout the season, I just let it go. So it, was a, it actually grew for a full year. Wow. Then, so how, I mean, how bushy was bushy at that? It, it was long. It was, it was a lot of work. I had to straighten it. I had to brush it. I had oils, shampoos. I, everything you can think of, I had it just to keep it clean and keep it looking presentable. Because if I didn't, like when I woke up out of bed, it was all over the place. <laughs> what, what, what's the, uh, the grossest thing you've ever had caught in there? No, there's a lot. You know, the, the struggle with it is honestly eating food that's handheld, burgers and stuff like that. Usually I got to cut my food, so if not, it would stay on the beer. I would have to go through 10, 12 napkins just to eat a meal because it's all over the place. So that was the only thing that was really bothering me about it. All right, fair enough. The other uh, little piece I want to do with you here, if you don't mind, is talking about when the season ends, how quickly, and I don't really even care about the facial hair anymore, but how quickly you get out of baseball mode and into other things mode. Do you watch the World Series when it happens? I mean, do you wish you were there, or do you just kind of try to disconnect? I mean, when, once you get up here and you don't make you don't make it to the World Series or the playoff, you're always going to want you're always going to want to be there. You still watch it. I mean, you probably don't. I don't follow it as much. Yeah. We'll watch important games like. Just, you know, the World Series, Game 7s, Game 5, stuff like that. But besides that, I mean, I get home, I take a month off and just try to stay away from baseball and all that stuff, and then I'll get going with it again. 
What's on your TV or your Netflix? What are your go-tos when you got some time? I, I bounce around from a lot of stuff. I'm big into comedy stuff, so I usually watch random shows like that, but I don't I don't have that one show that I just go straight into. Do you have a channel at least? I mean, for me, I'm kind of adult swim just to watch some old family guy or robot chicken or whatever. Or are there particular places you would at least head towards? You know, when it, when it comes to like family guy, the Simpsons, stuff that's always on, that's been on for a while, I'm always into that. You know, I follow it, but like I said, I bounce Hulu, Netflix, Disney yeah. Plus. I'm, I'm all over the place. It just depends what mood I'm in that day. Did you, during the pandemic, get into the whole Queen's Gambit and the whole uh, Tiger King and, and all those big ones like a year ago? So I did watch all those. There was one show that my friends made me watch and my girlfriend, it was uh, Lucifer, and that's one that I got oh, yeah. into it lately. So the new season's out, which I haven't gotten a chance to watch it because we get home so late that... Right. For me to finish one episode, it would probably take me four days by the time I get home and fall asleep every ten minutes. What else, when we talk about off-season pursuits, are you a fisherman, are you a golfer? What's the outdoorsy stuff? So, no, no, I'm a, I'm a fan of fishing. It's, I mean, it's funny because I never fished in my life. Then I signed with the Mets and was in St. Lucie, in oh, yeah. GCL all year. And we all know there's not much to do in St. Lucie. True, yeah. My roommate at that time was from South Carolina. He was big into fishing. So because of him, I got into it. And that's one of the things that I just got a place down south in my house. And one of the reasons I got it is because I have a canal behind me. Nice. So I can just All go right. o- over the fence and just go fish. So that's one of my things. I just go and relax. You, you got a, a prize catch that you want to share with us? Is there no, one over the other? No. I, I have nothing crazy. No, I just, just fresh water. So just uh, bass and stuff. So it's always the same. Nothing, nothing too crazy. All right, so this is kind of a weird way to end, but now that there are kids, I mean, not just in Florida and back in Venezuela, but pretty much every Mets fan knows who you are. They're watching you. They're, they're looking at you. We've got some little kids that want to be as smooth as you. I mean, that must be pretty cool. Do you start to formulate in your head, like, all right, when I meet someone and they want to talk to me about baseball or life, like, do I have to have a TED Talk prepared? Or do you even think about stuff like that? No, no, I just, I think it just happens organically. You know, you start talking about it and, you know, kids talk to you. Where, where I work out at, you have guys from different sports too, pro guys. I train with NFL guys. I train with MMA guys. Hmm. They're on the same gym. So everybody's always talking about, oh, what do you do with this? What do you do with that? So it's never one specific thing. You always have different conversations with different types of people in different types of places in their life. Fascinating man you are. Thank you, pal. No problem. Thank you. Boom shakalaka. Nicely done, Luis. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed getting to know him a little bit better. Next week on Mets in the Morning, uh, we are going to have a little bit more of a dive into the Mets minor league system. Uh, we will start to tell some World Series stories probably too because we're going to be close to that. But for now, gotta go. There's a house band playing, and I know you want to meet him. On keyboards, that was Wes Gardner. Slapping to bass, Jeff Francoeur. The horn section, that's Danny Heath. And on drums, Oliver Perez. This is Josh Lewin. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is now a weekly operation until the first games of spring training. So come on back next week. We will do it all again. Take it easy. Let's go Mets. See ya.